Hello everyone, my name is Taylor. And I'm Kelly. And we are the co-hosts of Jumping Bomb Audio, the podcast all about Joshi Pro Wrestling here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Every other Monday, we are with you talking about the biggest news in Joshi, along with show reviews, previews, and much, much more. So if you're new to Joshi or you've been a longtime fan, this is the show for you. We've got something for everyone here. So check us out, Jumping Bomb Audio. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Express. I'm your host, Neil David, and we are back once again to talk about all the exciting events on the British and European wrestling scene. We are yet again a Red Pro podcast, <laughs> and I don't really make any apologies for that. I think that the whole point of this show, ever since it started, nearly a year ago now, actually, it was it was January of this year, is to just talk about things that I've been watching and that I'm interested in. And obviously, I've been watching loads of British and European wrestling. But for my money, the most interesting stuff is happening in RevPro. It's exciting at the minute in some parts. It's disappointing in other parts. And we're going to talk about a couple of shows today as we build up to Uprising on December the 17th. That I don't really know where I stand on them. And I think sometimes I need this podcast and I need you guys to come on and sort of help me work out what it is that I think about them. Because there's some stuff that's really, really excellent. And there's some stuff that, I'll be honest with you, I think I'm going to end up ranting and and raving about. As I say, we're coming up to a, a year and in a couple of weeks time when we have our next episode, it'll be the Christmas episode. And I'm a little bit funny about doing a Christmas special as such. I feel a little bit strange about those sorts of things. I'm not I'm not really a big Christmas person. I, I get called a Scrooge all the time. You know, my wife hates it. I don't know what it is. I just don't get Christmas. I think it's because... I don't know. I, I think it's just because if it was a day where all the family got together and we had nice food and we, you know, we hung around and we played board games and you know, drunk a little bit too much, then that'd be fine. It's it's kind of the the fact that it starts in November. By the time Christmas comes around, I'm just kind of sick of it. So the idea of doing anything Christmas-based, I'm a bit funny about. I mean, what I would do anyway, I've, I've no idea. But I've had a little bit of an idea to do something that's a little, a, a little special. And what I'm going to do in a couple of weeks' time is I'm going to review... Every single Zack Sabre Jr. Will Ospreay match. Because there's not going to be much wrestling to watch. We're going to have the Uprising show, and I think that's about it. So we're going to review every single Zack Sabre Jr. and Will Ospreay match. I've not put the playlist together yet. Uh, I mean, it's going to be every match. I mean, Gold Cage match. I mean, I've not found where to get them. But what I'll do is when I put that together, I'll put all the links 
in the Eurograps Express room of the Voices of Wrestling Discord. So if you want to watch them beforehand, please do. I think that'd be really good. You know, watch it beforehand. Watch it as you listen, maybe. You know, obviously you can pause after every match. It'd be really cool. I've no idea what I'm going to say yet. I've not watched them. I need to get all my thoughts together. Because I've said for a long time that this is one of the best feuds in modern wrestling. Is it a feud? I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it's just a series of matches. Either way, I bloody love them. And it's one of those that I would put up against any of the great series of matches in the past 10 years. So we'll go back, we'll watch the Evolve stuff, obviously a lot of stuff in Red Pro, a lot of stuff in New Japan. Uh, we'll watch those, and like I say, it'd be really cool if you get on that and watch them, and, and we, could, we could have a bit of a chat about it in the Discord. I've said Discord three times now, and I really encourage you to get in there. We've had some great conversations again uh, in the last couple of weeks about friend of the show, SM North. Amazing job. You know, he, he his job is sometimes involved, involves, I should say, sticking hands up cow's bums, which, you know, is more interesting than my job. I'll tell you that much. He doesn't always use his hands. Sometimes he uses a computer. So I'll let you go in the Discord to find out more, but get in there. Uh, we've had a wrestling promoter in there recently, which was pretty cool. Um, as I say, I've completely moved away from Twitter now. I go on it from time to time. I made the mistake of going on uh, a couple of days ago to see some really upsetting news that um, Jim Smallman is now a full-time employee of the WWE. Uh, just when we thought NXT UK was dead, and we could all move on and forget about it. It could be like a bad memory. Do you know, like that old girlfriend or boyfriend that you've got that wasn't very nice. And there's, there's a trigger, isn't there, sometimes? You know, like, I remember my wife said that she had this awful boyfriend years ago when she was a kid, and he, he drove a van, and every time she sees a van now, she thinks, oh, you know, it's sort of grates on her. And um, it's kind of like that, isn't it? Every time you see Jim Smallman's name, I'm like, oh, you know, I think if, like, I don't, I don't know if I'm being a little bit pathetic there, but it kind of really winds me up when people do what he did. You know, when you, when you kind of put yourself on a pedestal of independence. Because that's what they did, didn't they? You know, they were the, the bastion of British wrestling. They were the flag bearers that we were doing something special in this country, that we were... He never explicitly said anti-WWE, you know, he kept plausible deniability, but come on, we all know the whole point of why people went to promotions like Progress was to get away from WWE, and then literally as soon as William Regal paid him a visit, the way he's sniffled after him, he, he, he on Twitter, it made me sick. It made me really sick. And anyway, he said now he's a full, he's not an independent contractor anymore. He's a full-time employee of WWE, so God knows what that means. Does it mean NXT Europe is confirmed? Don't know. <laughs> I mean, can, can you imagine anything worse than NXT Europe? <laughs> yeah, I just, I just, I can't imagine. I mean, I suppose it depends what they do with it, isn't it? I mean, the, the problem is, and I think, What's lost with WWE is that words mean stuff. And when you're coming up with NXT UK in an era when NXT UK was some of the best wrestling on the planet, and as much as we can you know, talk about the ethics of the company and what they did to the you know the wider wrestling scene around the world, 
those takeovers, you know, the Generico Steen era NXT was was brilliant, wasn't it? You can't you can't deny the in ring product. Um, you know, the four horse women stuff, it was it was all great. And when you call something NXT UK, you kind of say hey, this is gonna be great as well. Turns out it wasn't great, was it? Turns out it was rubbish. It was a waste of everybody's time. But yeah, these snifflings around the horrible website Twitter that that's coming back. So as I say, what we're going to do on this show, we're going to have a look at Red Pro. We've got two shows, the last live in London of the year and the Sheffield show. One of those shows I absolutely hated for lots and lots of reasons that I'm going to go into. Um, and the other one I thought was actually pretty decent. At the end, we'll preview Uprising a little bit because I think there's some interesting stuff on there and it's the last big York Hall show of the year. Um, my house, do you know, I've just had a whiff. My house smells like mince pies. And I've realised what I said at the start. I don't like Christmas, but the one thing I do bloody love is a mince pie. And I've made my own this year. I've not made my own for years and years, and I've, I've just finished off the mince meat that's going to go inside. Um, for the Americans who are listening, a mince pie isn't what you're thinking of. It's not like mince beef. Mind you, 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 Americans don't call it minced beef. Anyway, what do Americans call mince? They call it something odd, don't they? Is it shredded meat? Is it shredded? Ground meat. Sorry, shredded is cheese, isn't it? Um, but yeah, it's, it's sort of currants and fruit and raisins, that sort of thing, soaked in brandy and put in pastry. And it's the best part of Christmas. So I've decided to make my own. And so I'm, as much as I'm saying I hate Christmas, can't hate a mince pie, can you? Anyway, I'm digressing. I don't know why. Uh, let's talk about Revolution Pro Wrestling. So the first show we're going to talk about is the recent Sheffield show. Um, Sheffield's not that far from me. I'm northern. I'm living in Salford. So I'd be really tempted to go to these Sheffield shows. And this one in particular, I almost went. It was only because I think my wife was away and the dog had been on his own the day before. And you know what it's like when you've got a dog. You revolve your life around him, don't you? So, you, you know, I can't just swan off to Sheffield to watch wrestling. Um, but I have to say, I'm glad I didn't go. I thought this show, in a lot of ways, was the epitome of bad Rev Pro. We've seen two very distinct Rev Pros in recent months. We've had bad Rev Pro a good rep pro. A bad rep pro is mired in WWE-inspired rubbish booking. And to me, there was too much of that on this show. And obviously, I'll point them out when we go. But it just seems really weird what rep pro are doing at the minute with shows like this. I feel, especially if you're trying to establish a northern market, because don't forget, rep pro... They feel like a British company, but they're very much based in the South. You know, they're based in London, Southampton, those kind of areas. And I think they do well up north, but they don't do as many shows. And the Sheffield building is smaller. It's not like the Victoria Warehouse where they go in Manchester for sort of the big event northern shows. Like they did at the anniversary shows and they do, I think, was it a summer sizzler they did this year up here? You know, kind of the the the... the I don't know, what's a better word than pay-per-view? Kind of the flagship kind of shows that they do. Um, but Sheffield's a little bit smaller than that, and they're kind of doing it more as like the Stevenage-level shows, which is fine. I, in fact, I think that's great. You know, often going to those smaller shows is really rewarding and really interesting. You know, you see wrestlers in different lights, you see them do different things. But 
I think they're making a mistake with a lot of the booking here by I'm coming away from these shows feeling, well, that was a bit of a waste of my time. I think when Red Pro go back to Sheffield, I'm going to be a little bit hesitant to buy a ticket. So let's talk about the matches and hopefully that'll make a little bit more sense and I'll explain why. Um, it started off with Michael Oku against Sean Jackson. Sean Jackson's getting a bit of a push and if I'm honest, I can't really tell what they're doing with him. He was up until recently a contender, which is kind of like their Young Lions division and he's now got the gimmick, you know, that kind of very traditional thing where you have a trainee who is, you know, the black shorts, goes out and loses and all that business. And then when they come back, they've got a gimmick. And I like the fact that Red Pro do that. I like the fact it gives you a hard reset. But the Sean Jackson character is not good. And it's it's a weird one because I think he's a good wrestler. I think there's something there with him. But what he's doing is he's doing the heel routine. And we've talked about this before, that heel kind of cookbook. That's the analogy that I've been using. That it's like he's sat down with Andy and Andy said, right, you're going to be a heel. So what do heels do? Well, they walk to the ring, they stamp their feet, they get annoyed with ring announcers, you know, not announcing their names properly. And it it just feels a little bit clunky and a bit cliche. You know, when he grabs the mic and starts shouting and it's cheap heat. That, that to me is what cheap heat is. I know the traditional, the sort of cliched version of cheap heat is to say, oh, I think your local sports team are rubbish. But it's a bit like that. You know, you're shouting at Francesca, the, the ring announcer. And it, I, I just, I think Sean Jackson is better than that. And I think that's what makes it so frustrating. We're going to talk about another match of his on the next show that I actually liked. He's a big hoss. He's a big lad and he could do big power moves. And I really like that. But, I think a lot of it, actually, it's not that it's inherently bad, because that sounds like I'm being a bit judgmental. I think it's bad for Red Pro. That's what I don't like about it. With Red Pro, there's always that suggestion of that you're gonna, you know, you're gonna see some good wrestling, and when they fall into these habits, and Sean Jackson is kind of epitomising that, to be honest, it just doesn't really sit right with you. If it was happening in Grand Pro in Wigan, I'd probably be really into it. Your know, prime example of that is Big Guns Joe. I first started seeing Big Guns Joe in Grand Pro, and he'd come out, and the whole point was is that Big Guns Joe thought he was this massive, beefy dude, and he's not. He's a little guy. You know, he's he's like Curly from Mice and Men. He's a little guy who don't like being a little guy, and it winds him up. And, he, and, you know, the crowd got really into that. You had tables of families who would boo, and it was a brilliant atmosphere, and I, I, I booed along with it, and I, I loved that kind of wrestling in its place. Not in its place as in you know, stay in your lane. I mean, I'm sort of buying a ticket for something and I expect to get the cultural capital that that ticket suggested. And I don't think the Sean Jackson character does that. I wonder if it's kind of booking him into a corner a little bit as well. Because if you compare him to someone like Leon Slater, whose whole character is that he's young, he's inexperienced, just like Sean Jackson but he's real and a bit plucky and and he's got a little bit more of a cool attitude to him. You know, he's got somewhere where that character can develop. Whereas what can this Sean Jackson character do? What's the end game? I suppose the end game is him being beaten, but then what does that do for him as a new person on the roster? 
Am I overthinking this? Probably. I don't know. I just don't like it. Uh, the match was all right. You know, Jackson was really violent, and that's something that I like about his game, that, you know, there's, like, head stomps in this, you know, big toe pays. Um, I think Oku here was all right. The problem with Oku here is he oversold a little bit. You know, it was a, and Oku's great at selling, but it, it just felt like he's building up to this big match and he should just be getting decisive wins. But you put him against a big lad, he's got to kind of sell it, and he went overboard a little bit, I thought. So not not the greatest start, really, to the show. Um, but then we had Greedy Souls against Callum Newman and J.J. Gale. I love J.J. Gale. I absolutely love him, and I'm hesitant to say it. Because sometimes with British wrestling and, and kind of the position that the, the scene is in, we can often get a little bit carried away with wrestlers. Do you know what I mean? Because the scene is is pretty dire still. You know, it's not built up to where it could be. And we're very much in a transitional period at the minute where these young wrestlers are finding the feet. And there's a temptation, I think, when you get a JJ Gale to push him, but push him too soon. Because there's, I mean, it's a difficult, it's, it's sort of a really weird kind of balancing act, isn't it? Because you can't, you've got to push some people. You know, you've got to get this talent, especially a company like RevPro, who, let's be honest, are at the mercy of bigger companies around them. So if you've got someone like JJ Gale and, you know, Leon Slater and uh, Callum Newman and people like that, you have to do things with them because you don't know how much longer you're going to have them for. But at the same time, you need to give him the time to develop. And I think JJ Gale has really hit, sort of hit that right pace for that sort of thing. Because you've seen Callum Newman and you've seen, you know, Lando, Joe Lando and people like that kind of go down the progress route a little bit and, you know, get booked in places that would over-push them. Whereas J.J. Gale, he's a little bit more understated. He's not as out there and cool as the others. So he's kind of had a little bit of a slower progression. But actually, I think that's served him much, much better. I think of this bunch of British wrestlers coming up, with the exception of Leon Slater, I think he's the one to, he's the best one from a an in-ring point of view and from a character point of view as well. He's not over the top. He doesn't come out and do anything corny. He comes out and he feels real. You know, he's a, he's a really, really interesting wrestler. And I, I, I just love that young tag team. The match itself was a little bit clunky. I'm starting to notice this a lot with Greedy Souls, actually. I do like them. I like Brendan White. I like Danny Jones. I think they're good wrestlers. I think sometimes they struggle to keep up with the more spotty wrestlers. You know, someone like JJ Gale and Callum Newman, they're very fast. They move quickly. And there's going to be a lot of spots. And I think they often kind of struggle to keep up with that a little bit. And you see, you see that a lot in this match. Um, it was a very traditional match and I like that about it. I think that <coughs> um, speaks to what I was saying. Excuse me. I've got a cough. I keep coughing and I keep restarting and I've just given up now. Um, so I'm just going to keep going. So excuse me if, if, if the odd one uh, comes out. Um, I like the fact that this was a traditional kind of tag match. You know, it was essentially um, JJ Gale being beaten down by the Greedy Souls to get the hot tag. And I, I like that. And the back half of this was really good. It was just on the right side of botchy. Does that does that make any sense? Like you got this 
this team in JJ Gale and Callum Newman that they wrestle right on the peak of their ability and it feels like things could go wrong at any second. And some of the offense that they did, like the joint offense, it was great, but it almost went wrong a couple of times. And to me, that adds to things. I think that makes matches really exciting when you think they might go wrong. And it kind of makes sense as well, doesn't it, from a kayfabe point of view. You know, you'd, you'd if you're... Callum Newman and JJ Gale, you're wrestling against the Red Pro Tag Team Champions. You've got to pull out the, all the stops. You've got to try and push yourself and do things that are right on the edge of your ability. And I, I thought that was really, really good. Red Pro Women's Division. I don't know if I'm repeating myself a little bit here, but I don't actually feel that bad about it because I feel like Quilden is repeating the booking. So if you keep presenting me with essentially the same thing, I'm going to say eventually, essentially the same thing. We had Maya Matthews against Mercedes Blaze. And I like both of these wrestlers. I like Mercedes Blaze. I like Maya Matthews. I feel like I'm seeing them in this combination too often. It just it feels like a match that I've seen before and I'm not going to get excited about. And that's a Red Pro problem, quite frankly. You know, that that's something that happens. I'm not just in the women's division. That, you know, kind of the way Andy books is he books with a very small core roster. He kind of depletes your interest in those matches and then moves on to the next one, which from a business point of view makes sense, doesn't it? You know, you, you get everything you can out of a small group of wrestlers and then move on to the next thing. And I, I don't know if... Yes, it makes sense from a business point of view, but from a viewer, from a fan, it can kind of outstay its welcome a little bit. And you can kind of, it gets you to the point where you want the next thing a little bit too late. You know? Oh, sorry, I, let me rephrase that. It gives you the next thing a little bit too late sometimes. And I know what they're doing. And again, I, can ex- I know it makes sense. You know, they want to do the Southside and uh, Red Pro Women's Union match um, you know, where they, where they put the two belts together at the big show. I get that. I understand, and that's the right thing to do. But the journey just feels a little bit overdrawn. It feels a little like it's it's stretched too thin, to use a Lord of the Rings quote. You know, it, it just it needed something. And I think the solution would probably be to book more women. You know, there are women in the country that you could use, I'm sure. Um, but we're just not really getting them. I like Maya Matthews. I think she's really good. She's very young. She's got a long way to go, but she's definitely promising. Um, her work is kind of catching up to her character, I'm noticing, which is to be expected, uh, considering she's inexperienced. I like the fire that she's got. You know, the way she goes to violence really quickly. You know, Mercedes Blaze is a very arrogant character. You know, she thinks she's better than everyone else. And what I like about the fact that in this match was that Maya Matthews just didn't put up with that. She went straight to punch her in the face as soon as the messing started. And that, you know, shows that actually they're thinking about the story. So, yeah, it might be a bit too drawn out and a little bit clunky, but, you know, Maya Matthews is changing the more she gets to know her opponent. And, you know, there's a bit of long-term booking here that I appreciate, even if I kind of want to move on a little bit quicker than they are. I like the kicks to finish with this. with Mercedes, you know, this was really violent. Lots of kicks, lots of punches. Mercedes Blaze booting Maya Matthews in the head, which was really good. 
I think my issue with this, and this was the first finish that I just, I felt like I had a bit of a problem with. You know, because Maya Matthews lost clean, which is fine. She's Maya Matthews. You know, I'm not disparaging her when I say that. I'm just referencing a position on the card. She's still moving up. She's still positioned as inexperienced. She's not had a big push yet. She's somebody you can beat. And she did beat her. But then at the end, there had to be this weird beatdown where Maya Matthews got a heat back, brother. And I feel like sometimes when bookers put people in a position to get their heat back, I can sort of see those cogs working. I feel like it's a very opaque way of doing things. And I think people like us can just see it. You know, we could just see what's going on. And so it ended with, yes, Maya Matthews lost the match, but it was her music playing on the end, at the end and it was her stood on the ropes. And I feel like we're supposed to go away from this and think, oh, yeah, it's now it's still even. And I, I don't really think that's a satisfying way of ending things. If you think of wrestling matches as stories or pieces in a greater story, more more kind of fittingly, we want things to move forward. You don't want to watch an episode of a TV show and feel like things were in the same position as when they started. In fact, that's one of the first things they teach you when you go to write film, which I, I did in a past life. One of the first things they tell you about constructing a story is that if you have all of your characters in the same position at the end of the film that you had at the start of the film, then you've not told a story because nothing's happened. And that's kind of what these finishes do to me. They just feel like, well, you've wasted my time a little bit. And it's a shame, actually, because Maya Matthews didn't need to get a heat back at the end to get a little bit more over. Like I say, she was really impressive here. It advanced her character quite a lot. She was very violent and very aggressive. And, you know, she's just showing that she's really digging deep to, 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 to put herself in a position in the division. So to end it, I don't know. I, I, I just felt like it was a little bit insulting, really. We had Jacobs versus Maloney next. Um, heavyweight versus cruiserweight champion. We will return to that later. <laughs> Remember that statement. Uh, this was, you know, this is one of those matches, isn't it, that you see on paper. And as much as I say, you know, Andy books the same people a lot and you can kind of get a little bit bored of it sometimes. But he can also put a match forward and you see the names and you go, yeah, I want to see that. You know, two absolute bruisers you know, wrestlers who feel really hot at the minute. They feel like they're doing really exciting things. And he's just put them together and you know they're going to just slap each other. <laughs> you know, they're going to slap each other, beat each other up and I want to watch it. You know, so seeing that on this card just made me think, oh yeah, here we go. You know, just that dumb jock wrestling that they both do. Let's see it. You know, really exciting stuff. So, to have that on paper... And then to have the match that we got was a little bit disappointing. I kind of wish they'd saved this match to when it had a, had some stakes. Because this was just a match, really. And, and yeah, no, it, as much as I say I'm getting excited about it, it would have been nice to save this to have it be a little bit more significant. I have to say, I, I think I might have been wrong about Jacob being a cruiserweight, you know. I am I'm a humble person. 
I'm more than willing to admit when I was wrong. And everyone was saying that Jacob should be a heavyweight. And I think they might be right. Seeing him lock up with Dan Maloney here. And the way they did the lock up was, was brutal and violent. And the way they slapped each other and hit each other and dropped each other. I thought, yeah. I think these are the matches that I want to see Luke Jacobs having. I don't want to see him have matches against Will Caven, really. I want to see him mix it up with Dan Maloney. I mean, obviously he still can because he is. You know, We're talking about a Dan Maloney-Luke uh, Jacobs match. But I'm, I'm wondering, were progress right? It's a difficult truth that is. <laughs> a difficult, you know, realisation that maybe progress were right to book him as a heavyweight. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I kind of like this finish as well. This was a weird finish. I'm going to talk about some weird finishes that I didn't like. But basically, um, Lou Jacobs snuck it. He he pinned Dan Maloney. It was one of those where Maloney made a mistake. He didn't kick out quick enough. I don't know if it was uh, a mistake in real life. I don't know if it was a, a booked mistake. But either way, it worked. You know, it, it doesn't really matter. It could be just a happy accident. So, in a way, I'm kind of contradicting what I just said about the women's match because this came across as a bit of a, okay, Luke Jacobs wins because he's a champion and he needs to get his wins in. But Dan Maloney doesn't really lose anything by losing because we all know Dan Maloney's thick. You know, we all know he's dumb. That's how he wrestles. That's his character. That's why he's brilliant. He's just a big meathead who batters people. So he is going to slip up every now and then with this sort of thing. He was outsmarted with a pin. I I like that. I thought that was an interesting finish. Even though, if it was booked, I can kind of see the cogs. Contrary, I'm, I'm, I'm having a little bit of like an existential podcasting moment, aren't I? I'm saying, I, do you know what I think it is? I think it's because I'm not recording this in the middle of the night. I'm recording this at a reasonable time <laughs> because uh, Red Pro were a little bit late uploading the uh, Live at London show and I wanted to wait to talk about it. So I'm recording it on a Monday evening rather than sort of in the dead of night on a Saturday. So maybe that's why <laughs> my true thoughts are finally coming out. Next, we had Robbie X against Will Caven. I, I'm i kind of out on Will Caven now. I, I, I think he's a good wrestler. I'm out on the character. I, I, he's, he's really hard to get excited about. I think because so much of his story has been mired in that rubbish booking and so much of his character is the corny cackling heel it almost doesn't matter how good he is when the bell goes. And he is good. You know, and again, Robbie X is Robbie X. I don't need to wax on about how great he is. You all know, and I've talked about it a lot before. But it's there's something about Will Caven that overshadows things. He plays to the crowd a little bit too much, you know. And it's a shame. Because, like I say, he's, he's a great wrestler. Robbie X is, again, adding stuff to his game that is really amazing. It feels like every time you watch a Robbie X match, he's doing another little cool thing. And I'm not talking about anything extravagant, but he's just, he's building up little pieces like a jigsaw. He's just adding pieces and pieces and pieces. Like the one this time, 
was he did a suplex, just a standard vertical suplex. But as he bounced on the floor, he immediately turned that into a kip-up. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before. And it just, it's, it sounds like such a little thing, but it it's just cool. <laughs> and that's what Robbie X is. Sometimes he just does stuff that's cool and you've got to get into it. You know, you've got to get into it. There was a count out to end this. A count out. Will Caven got in the ring and Robbie X was counted out. Now, that's always going to wind me up, isn't it? Because I, I don't know what it is. Count-out finishes. I understand that sometimes there has to be a count-out finish because you've got to kind of establish that count-outs are, are feasible. You know, this when you see those New Japan ones, you know, when they both go outside and the referee starts to panic and you're always kind of a little bit, out of it, you're not quite invested in because you know that it's not going to end in a count out. Why they did it here, I don't know. Robbie X is building up to a match against Luke Jacobs at the big show in December at York Hall. So why is he losing by count out a couple of shows before that? I, I don't get that. Why can't he just beat Will Caven? What what is it about Will Caven that they're desperate to protect? I understand that you you know you need that next person because I assume and I I don't know this but I assume on December the seventeenth, Luke Jacobs is going to lose, so Robbie X can get the cruiserweight title and Luke Jacobs can go on to do other things. That that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, it could go either way. Luke Jacobs might have you know Robbie X as a as a as a big scalp for him and, and that'd be fine too. I think that would work. But what is it about Will Caven? The same with the Maya Matthews thing, I suppose. What is it about Will Caven that we can't just beat at the minute? He's new to the territory. He's still establishing himself. A lot of his heat, quote unquote, comes from his character. Why did we have to have a count out? I don't get it. It's not. It's just not satisfying, is it? Especially Robbie X losing to count. I just think there's something about. Excuse me. There's something about Robbie X losing by count out that just kind of. It's not champion behaviour, is it? Losing to a count out. And if you've just won the British Jacob and you're on this huge trajectory, because Robbie X really is. He really feels like he's got steam at the minute, doesn't he? He's, he's really going to something special. He's, he's doing the best work of his life. And then they beat him by count-out. And I understand maybe the counterpoint to that is, okay, it's a Sheffield show. But then why do I want to go to your Sheffield show? If I know that this show is going to be something that where weird things happen, I don't know. Just, just, just really strange. Just, I, I, I think you were always going to go uphill with the with the count out loss, especially to who it was, and especially here. I just thought it was stupid. Then we had the Legion, Lucian Phillips and Screwface Ahmed against Sunshine Machine. I'm not sure about the Legion anymore. I, th- I said something about how I don't really think they make sense without 
um, Gideon Gray. And they're obviously not going to have Gideon Gray for a while because he's making waves in Japan, so to speak. And I, I, I feel like having the Legion as a tag team and having the Legion be very Legion-y, it's kind of, it just, it's just odd. Because that was, no, everyone in the Legion was a supporting act to Gideon Gray. So now we've just got the supporting act. And Lucian Phillips and Screwface Ahmed are fine, but they're all right. Uh, the problem with this match is um, that the ring broke. <laughs> Quite simply, you know, the ring fell apart. Halfway through the match, literally the middle rope just came off uh, and there was a problem with the ring. And I think what threw me off about this is obviously a lot of the Sunshine Machine offense, especially with Chuck Mambo, it's all springboard, it's all high flying. And once the middle ring had fallen off, they had to brawl outside for a bit while they tried to fix it, which, again, a difficult thing to criticise them for because that is their safety, isn't it? You don't want to wrestle in a ring that's literally falling apart. So they went outside, I assume called an audible, to do walker brawl stuff, which I don't really like anyway. So that's a whole section of the match that's kind of having points docked as it is. And when they got back in the ring, they were bravely doing the, all the springboard stuff that they do anyway. And all I could do was look at the rope. I was like a health and safety executive. I was scratching my chin, looking at the rope, wondering if it was safe. <laughs> you know? And I don't really think that's what you want from your wrestling, to be honest with you. And it got going again, and it was all right. And just when you thought things couldn't get any worse... We got a distraction finish. So again, we've got Sunshine Machine who are being booked to go against Greedy Souls, losing right before their title challenge because Greedy Souls come out and do a distraction finish. I'm smiling when I say this, but that's crap, in it? Isn't that a load of crap? It's bad booking. Defend that to me. If you like it, if you think that's good, defend it. I'm not sorry, I'm, I'm being a bit aggressive there. You don't know, like it if you want. You know, I'm not bothered. But for me, that stinks. And it's unnecessary. Like I said before, why did Maya Matthews need to get a heat back? Why did Robbie X need to lose by count out? And why did Will Gaven need to win? Why did the Legion a Gideon Greyless Legion need to win this match? Why does Sunshine Machine need to lose by distraction? Why is that going to give any more heat to the title match at um, the London show? It feels like these are the sort of questions, really basic questions, that aren't being asked of Red Pro's booking at the minute. The W. Why? It's like it's booking for the sake of it. It's like I mean I'm I'm I don't even know I'm I'm tired of coming up with an with uh, analogies about it, but it reminds me of Ingve Malmsteen. You know the guitarist Ingve Malmsteen. He's he's a brilliant guitarist who shreds and he just plays really really quickly and that's all he does. He plays classical music with distortion quickly, and it's guitar playing for the sake of guitar playing. And this is the booking equivalent of that. It's booking for the sake of booking. 
I, I'd have really felt with this trio of matches, if I'd have gone to this show, I'd have felt shortchanged. I don't even think the Ingve Malmsteen analogy works, actually, because at least Ingve is competent. At least he plays the notes clean. This feels thrown together. This feels like just random wrestling stuff thrown in a pot, launched at a wall, just to see what sticks. And it ain't sticking. I, I just I just don't get it. I, I, I just don't get why this is the route that they're going down. They're doing things that are more complicated than just booking matches and having wins and losses, yet we're not getting anything out of it. And in fact, we're getting less, I think. We're getting less satisfying matches. We're getting less satisfying builds to big matches. I said before, one of the reasons why I like the Greedy Souls against Callum Newman and JJ Gale match is because it was simple. It was 12-bar blues. It was a story that we'd seen a million times before, yet had... Exci- you know, yet it had exciting wrestlers in it doing exciting things and it felt like things moved you know people moved up and down positions people got a little bit more over that sort of thing I don't know I, 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 I feel like things are losing the way a little bit to be honest with you then it was Ricky Knight Jr. against Nathan Cruz this this is what Dave Meltzer called on Twitter this week. I was in the Observer, but he called. I can't remember what match it was, but he called a match, a professional wrestling match between two professional wrestlers, and that's what this was. It was a perfectly fine match. Nathan Cruz has hit his ceiling, I think, with this match. I think he's fine. I think he's all right. Um, he he was competent here. He really built a main event style match with Ricky Knight Jr. And it was it was it was probably three and a half, three and a quarter. It was a match that I didn't feel cheated when I watched it like I did the others. But yeah, it was just it was it's do you know what? It's one of them matches. And I I I think you can hear it in my voice. Do you know when you do something like this where I don't know if if any of you have ever written about wrestling or you you've you've done a podcast or whatever it is You've got to have a take on things. And what's the take on Ricky Knight Jr. defeating Nathan Cruz? <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't know what my take is. And I, I apologise that you've listened to this podcast expecting me to have a take. And I hope you could hear in my review of the match then. I did really try. <laughs> I really, really tried to have a take on Nathan Cruz against Ricky Knight Jr. But it was just sort of there. You know, <laughs> it was just there. But hey, sometimes, you know, you need that don't you? You need your champion Ricky Knight Jr. to build up some wins and he's not really been doing that recently because he's been doing the Mad Kurt stuff so I suppose from a very sterile booking point of view, it was good that that happened, but I really clutched at straws there, aren't I? So that was the Sheffield show. Rubbish, to be honest with you. Nothing on it that I really enjoyed per se. And just lots of really weird booking. I just, like I say, I think the ultimate thing is I've come away from it just a little bit confused. I've come away from it wondering why the choices that Andy Quilden made in the booking were better than the simple, obvious choices. I think I'm not necessarily against having 
big story, big convoluted wrestling. And on occasion, I like it. It's not necessarily my style. I've got to be sort of open about my natural kind of biases. But I don't understand why this was better. Anyway, got a bit grumpy, haven't I? So let's go to that London for the last Live at London show of the year. Off we go. I suppose in many ways you could call this the go-home show because we're building up to this big show. And again, we'll, we'll preview it specifically at the end. But this is where we're kind of put, going to put all the pieces together. And we're going to end up with this fully formed excitement ready for that York Hall show. And it started off with Leon Slater against Michael Oku. Again, that kind of goes back to what I was saying about um, Jacobs and Baloney, doesn't it? that you see those two names and you just immediately get excited. You think this is going to be a great match. Leon Slater is... It's hard to sort of not join in with the hyperbole, isn't it? Because again, he's like JJ Gale, but to a whole other level. He's somebody who really is going to be something special. And everyone's saying that. Everyone can see that. It's not a hot take. He's really somebody who we're going to be putting a flag in in future years, you know, when he inevitably does big things in wrestling. But he's not really there yet. And he's very young. I think, is he 18 or 19? He's he's properly young. He's still a teenager. Which, on the one hand, is amazing, isn't it? To think that he's doing all this now at his age. But we kind of want to pump the brakes a little bit. We want him to get that J.J. Gale thing that I was talking about, where he's allowed to bubble. But then again, he's kind of ready for Michael Oku, isn't it? He's ready for these sorts of matches. So it's a tricky one. I don't envy Booker's having to deal with that because, you know, it, it, it's... And again, Booker's have their own problems, don't they? Where, again, is he going to be somebody who we're going to have around for years and years and years? Is he going to be off doing something amazing in another country? So you want to make the most of him now. I really like the way he carries himself. He came out full of confidence. And when Oku came out, he was sort of mocking him a little bit, you know, because Oku has his entrance that he does, you know, with the now we play routine. And Leon Slater was behind him doing it. But I really like the vibe that gave to this match. And I know I sound like an old man when I use words like vibe. But... Oku sort of turned round and smiled and laughed and kind of went, yeah, all right, I, you know. And I liked that. It gave it a bit of a, a sporting contest kind of feel. And you had this idea that Leon Slater's this arrogant, cocky young man, but he's incredibly likable with it. And when Oku saw him doing that, he couldn't help but smile. And it, it, it it's, it's a nice feel, you know. Not every wrestling match has to be a blood feud. And I'm really a fan of having face-against-face contests and people treating things like contests. I can, you know, on a card, that's a nice bit of variety. I don't want it all the time, but that's a nice bit of variety that you don't often get. Oku wrestled a, a bit of a different game here than he normally does. He was dominant. He was powerful. And I like that because they've, they've, they've thought about this story a little bit more. Leon Slater is inexperienced. He's not somebody who is going to be able to deal with a Michael Oku suddenly switching his game up. 
That showed Oku's experience. He's going to do things that Leon didn't expect. And I like that. There was a really brutal spot in this as well. Leon Slater picked him up in a um, in a in a backdrop, but didn't do the backdrop. He sort of both fell over the ropes, and they were really committed to it. And I, I you know, I, I'm always into that. Again, I love this arrogant Slater gimmick. I think it's really good. Again, I don't know if I'm recording this at a different time, but I'm going to say something that I don't often say. There was a bit of a distraction in this that I kind of liked. <laughs> You know, I, I don't like it in principle, but I liked it in practice. Connor Mills came out, and obviously they're building to this match between Mills and Oku at York Hall. And it was sort of hinted towards there being a distraction finish. But what did Michael Oku do? He lodged himself over the post in a tope and took him out. You know, and I like that because that's what you would do, isn't it? If someone's going to come out and try and do the distraction nonsense, you just punch him in the face and move on. But obviously, if you're Michael Oku, you're not going to punch him. You're going to do a big tope. Well, then what happened after that? Leon Slater did a tope right after, and that led to him winning the match. So in a way, the distraction finish works. But there's an exception that proves every rule, and I think this distraction finish actually worked. So again, actually, I'm not wrong. I'm actually, I'm not wrong, because what I said before is, and you can go back and check, it's on record, is that you've got to ask yourself, does this benefit the story? Does this make the finish better? And by doing it this way, I think it kind of did. It allowed, I'm really conflicted, because again, Oku's losing going into a big match, and I'm a bit of a traditionalist when it comes to this sort of thing. I think both Mills and Oku should be on hot streaks. They should be going in. You know, the whole point of Oku is he's at the point of the story where he's fired up. He didn't want to face Mills, but now he's fired up. He's ready to go and he wants matches to sort of get himself in ring shape. So I think he should be winning them. And the idea that Mills is distracting doesn't really sit well with me. But I think they just about pulled it off. Just. Not letting him off the hook for that Sheffield show, though. Next up, we have Joshua James against Sean Jackson. And again, Sean Jackson is telling his heel stories. They're doing this thing now where he's Sean, action, action, Jackson, because he's double action. And I I don't know. You know, it's just, I think the real shame of this is it wouldn't bother me so much if there wasn't a good wrestler in there. Because Joshua James is a big bloke. He's a big hoss. And so Sean Jackson and when the wrestling got going and they were doing big hoss stuff, it was really good. JJ's splash, Joshua James's splash was unbelievable in this. It just there's something about a big bloke doing a splash and the way the ring kind of bounces and comes back up. It's amazing. So the actual work was really good. It's just the Sean Jackson character. It's just taking me out of this a little bit. It's making it hard to really invest in it. So I just, I think, be a heel, be an arrogant heel by all means. Just tone it down a little bit. Just chill out. You know, it doesn't need to be this overwrought screaming all the time about being double action. Next up, we had Luke Jacobs and Robbie X against Dan Maloney and Will Caven. There's a little bit of can they coexist here, isn't there, between Jacobs and Robbie X? This kind of epitomizes what I'm talking about. 
because we've got Jacobs and X who are building up to this match at York Hall. Yet for some reason, they're now a tag team against Dan Maloney and Will Caven. Why? How are you selling this match that's coming up by having them team together? And the weirdest thing about this, do you know what I said before? I've sort of put a note on about potentially Luke Jacobs moving up to heavyweight. That's not the route it seems like they're going down. They're talking about Dan Maloney moving down to cruiserweight. That's what they said on commentary. What a stupid idea. Why? I mean, I've said and admitted and held my hands up that I was wrong about Luke Jacobs being a cruiserweight, but they got away with it, especially if they're going to take the belt off him and give it to Robbie X. It worked. You can't tell me Dan Maloney's a cruiserweight. No way. Not in Red Pro. Yeah, maybe if he went to America in the land of the giants and he was in a, a company of genuine heavyweights, you, you could get away with that. But not in Red Pro. There is no way you're going to tell me that Dan Maloney's a cruiserweight. And I, I don't get... I don't really get caught up on stuff like that. I think if you can help me suspend my disbelief, then I can live with it. Even, you know, look at the Shingo thing. It doesn't really matter. Some wrestlers can pull that off. Luke Jacobs could just about pull it off. Dan Maloney cannot. I mean, there were some really good things in this, like Maloney and Jacobs slapping each other. You know, that's always going to be captivating. Uh, Will Caven got the pin here. I don't, I, I don't really know why. Again, it, it's just, it's such a weird... I, I don't get what they're doing. They're building towards a big cruiserweight championship match at York Hall, yet they're pushing Will Caven. Can his push not wait? Do you know what I mean? I just, I don't know if I'm overthinking this or they're not thinking about it enough. I, I'm really confused by why they're doing it this way. I really am. It's kind of exhausting to have a take about it because it just feels really obvious, doesn't it? You're having big matches in big arenas built to them, and they're just not. You know, I just, I just don't really understand what's going on. Next, it was Connor Mills against NXT UK's own Eddie Dennis, and there was something really interesting that happened here. You know how I've kind of built this thing with Oku, who, where you know, he can kind of do things that I don't like. You know, like that thing before with the uh, with the distraction finish and certain parts of the Oku Mills story that with other wrestlers I really wouldn't like, but with Oku I do. And Oku came out here and attacked Connor Mills. And it was great the way they did it. I usually hate that sort of thing. But Oku basically got a telling off from Eddie Dennis. Eddie Dennis had a go at him saying, look, you get to go and be Michael Oku at York Hall. I don't get to go to York, York Hall at the minute. And he was really subtly referencing NXT UK. You know, he's been away for five years. He's come back. He's got to prove himself again. And this is his moment. This isn't for you to come out 
and beat Connor Mills up and ruin my match. You need to go away and let me have this match because this is what I need to do for me. And I really enjoyed that. It was such a really rooted thing. The idea of the NXT UK star having to come back to the British scene with a little bit of humility and kind of start again. And the idea that somebody like Michael Oku, who is at the top of the tree, would come out and selfishly ruin that because he's got his own vendetta. The way he was called out on it, he was basically told off. It was this really brilliant, conflicted little thing of Eddie Dennis being the guy who trained Oku and Mills. He's the guy, the veteran on the one hand, yet he's down and sort of down and out almost. He's at the bottom. He's at that bottom rung and he's starting again. And Oku had to learn a little bit of humility. He had to think about those people beneath him. And in a lot of ways, that's been the Oku story, hasn't it? That he's he's flown really high and he's achieved all these amazing things. But to get there, he's had to step on a few toes. Unintentionally, and maybe at no fault of his own, but he's had to step on those toes. And I really like the way they're leaning into that story with this. And again, it's getting to the point now where I'm getting really confused about the Mills and Oku story. It's really Marmite. Some days I absolutely love it. Some days I absolutely hate it. I know that's not the Marmite thing by the way I know it's not that you flip and change but you know what I mean there's just little moments like this that when it's subtle it's really good uh, the match itself was alright uh, you know Eddie really put himself over here he was he was beaten down by Mills and they had this idea of him coming back and fighting back and having true grit to, for want of a better expression and it was good you know Eddie Dennis is obviously a good wrestler He's still got that NXT, you stink, NXT UK stink on him. And he's got to work to get rid of that. And it seems like he is, which is really good. Then we had Mercedes Blaze against Kanji. Uh, again, Mercedes Blaze is, is good. We've seen a little bit too much of her, I think. She's in every women's match on every show. And as good as she is, there's always going to be a little bit... You know, you're telling the same story over and over again. And it, it kind of feels like, okay, here's the women's match now. I think there needs to be something a little bit more interesting put into it in terms of booking. Um, Kanji's all right. Kanji's a proper wrestler. I think the problem with this match is, is that both Blaze and Kanji are wrestlers that kind of wrestle to the level of their opponent, if that makes any sense. They need somebody with them to raise them a little bit. And I think Kanji... Will do that when she's against Alex Windsor at York Hall. I think she's got the opportunity to really do something special with her. But Mercedes Blaze is kind of in that same position as well. She needs an Alex Windsor to get the best out of her. So putting them both together, it was always going to be okay at best. And that's pretty much what it was, to be honest with you. Um, it was it was okay. Then we had Greedy Souls against Sunshine Machine. And this is for the title. This was a no-count-out match because the last match they had ended in a count-out. Do you know what bugged me about this? I don't really like gimmick matches at the best of times, if I'm honest with you. I'm not a huge fan of gimmick. I, I just like wrestling. I, I think wrestling, when it's between two bells, tag team, one-on-one, whatever, that's where I like my stories to be. This was a no-count-out match, but 
if you're going to do that, okay, it might not be my favourite style of match, but I think you should at least wrestle to the gimmick or wrestle to the stipulation. And it wasn't really relevant here. It was just tags. You know, it wasn't a tornado tag or anything like that. It was just a very normal tag match. I feel like this being the third match between them in recent times, probably fourth actually. Did they? They might have faced each other in the British Tag League. I can't remember. But I'm kind of, I'm just sick of it now. I don't think there's really anything left for them to do. I said earlier that I think greedy souls sometimes um, sometimes struggle with spotty teams, and that's what Sunshine Machine are. They're a high spot team, which is great. But sometimes, especially with Brendan White, they feel just that couple of milliseconds behind and it really, really doesn't work. You know, just spots just feel a little bit too clunky. This match ended with, have you got your Rev Pro uh, rubbish finish bingo card ready? A belt spot. Chuck Mambo got smashed with a belt. TK Cooper got smashed with a belt. And for good measure, the referee got smashed with a belt. And it was a disqualification. There was a promo at the end of this. And I don't know what it said. I assume they're going to do a no DQ match now. But I was so incensed by the end of this match, I skipped it. I did one of the million other things that I could do that would be more interesting than, than, than watching this feud continue. I think everybody in this feud is good. I like all four wrestlers. I like them as tag teams. I even like them against each other. But it's played out now. It's done. And I tell you what. Greedy souls are good enough wrestlers that they need to drop these stupid finishes. I can forgive the the cheesy count out one that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. I do not want to see the, the become this tag team that regularly does rubbish finishes. I don't want to see any tag team do that. Certainly not in Rev Pro. I feel like I'm doing the telling off now, like Eddie Dennis did, but I just, I just don't get it. I, I don't get who is entertained by this, the sudden belt spots. I I, I just think I'm, I'm bored of this match anyway. So why are we ending with belt spots? What the gimmick's going to be at the next match, I don't know. Maybe it's going to be only count-outs. They should do that. You could only win. Oh, no, don't do that, because then you'd have to play like the I Quit match, wouldn't it? It would essentially be a last-man stand. Just, just do something else, honestly. It feels like they wrote Sunshine Machine out. They were losing a bit. They were losing in singles matches as well. If you remember, TK Cooper lost to... Was it Luke Jacobs he lost to? It felt like they were writing him out. So why are we just carrying on with this now? I don't know. I just drop it. Just do something different. The tag team division needs shaking up, which is a shame because for a while this year, the tag team division was the best thing about Rev Pro. I know they've lost Aussie Open and Velocities were only over here for a short time, and obviously that had a lot to do with it. Which you know, it's, it's hard to get that back, but it really needs shaking up. The main event was Ricky Knight Junior against Zack Knight. I went into this with a bit of a weird question. I feel like I'm kind of getting bored of Zack Knight now. He was in America for AEW. This match was postponed because of that. 
He he was there to support Soraya as she stunk at up AEW. And I feel like Zack Knight has kind of served his purpose, hasn't he? He surprised us all. He came out and had the match uh, um, at the New Japan show. And then he's been doing solid stuff for Red Pro. I like the build to this match that was essentially Ricky Knight Jr. was messing around with um, Mad Kurt. And his uncle, he's sort of the senior knight, stepped in and said, you're a champion, behave yourself, act like one. So we had a match against Mad Kurt and, and nearly killed him. And now they're having this match to kind of settle things. And as I say, I went into this match wondering whether I want Zack Knight in my main events. I feel like he's a really good gatekeeper, but I don't know if I want him in main events having title matches. And I've got to say, he completely won me over. I thought this match was really, really good. I loved the way they wrestled. The way they locked up. The way they really fought each other. It felt like a contest at the start. It felt like they were trying to prove something to each other. That Zack Knight's obviously got these insecurities about his younger nephew reaching these spots that he never got to. And then obviously Ricky Knight Jr. has got to prove the exact opposite. He's got to prove that he should be in these spots. That he is worthy. And who better to prove that against than the, the, your, one of the leading members of your family, a wrestling dynasty. And they told that story, not through shouting at each other, not through corny mid-match promos, but through the way they wrestled each other, the way they locked up, the way they fought, the way they, they fought in the way that only family can. I did have some nitpicks with this, actually. There were a few moments where I think punches were a little bit undersold, but the style of it was so good. I wish I could articulate this better, but it felt very British. It felt like the way they were wrestling and the style that they were harking back to was a very British style. And again, with that extra layer of them being family and the way they built the story, I thought this was a really, really good match. I went four stars on it. Obviously, Ricky Knight Jr. won, and that was absolutely appropriate. And, I, I, you know, towards the end of this, the, the selling really improved. So I was critical of the selling at the start. But by the end, they, they really felt like they both gave everything to, to for this match. And in a wrestling contest as well that I, I really enjoyed. A criticism that I'm building about Ricky Knight Jr., actually. I think he needs to find a little bit of his own identity in the ring. He's doing other people's moves a lot. And he does them all really well. He's doing odds cutters. He's doing one-winged angels. And I feel like he needs to do things that are his own. Because those moves, you know, they're not body slams, are they? They're moves that are so closely linked to other wrestlers. Even his finisher is the Rikishi driver, which is fine. I know Rikishi didn't invent the Rikishi driver. But they're calling it the Rikishi driver. They're showing that he's doing other wrestlers' moves. And it feels like he needs something that's a little bit more of his own because he's such a great wrestler. You know, there's that old cliche, isn't there, of great wrestlers move differently. And he really does. His drop kicks are phenomenal. The way he locks up, the way he fights, the way he punches, the way he strikes, all this stuff is great. 
but then his big spots are somebody else's. His big moves are, are very familiar moves that other very prominent wrestlers use and have kind of made their own. And I feel like that's the one thing that's stopping Ricky Knight Jr. being great. Because I think his promos are good, his looks good, his attitude's good. You know, he has that tweener thing where he's he's babyface, but he's heel-leaning, he does heel-leaning stuff. But it's just those moves. So this was a much better show. Sheffield show was rubbish. This show was pretty decent. It had some pretty good stuff on it, apart from the, 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 the tag team stuff that's doing my head in. But as always with Red Pro, all, sh- all roads lead to York Hall. So let's have a look at what they're going to be doing on December 17th. So as predicted, they have announced Sunshine Machine against Greedy Souls again. And believe it or not, this is now going to be a street fight. I hope this just puts it to bed. I hope Greedy Souls just win and go back to having proper matches with pinfalls and submissions. I don't know if that makes me a grumpy old man or what, but I've absolutely had enough for this feud now. It's gone from something that I really enjoyed to something I've absolutely had enough of. Tomohiro Ishii was announced for the show, which is brilliant. Um, His opponent is Zack Knight. He challenged him at the end at Live at London 68. And again, I feel like this is going to be another match where I'm surprised by Zack Knight. Because I'm not that excited by that. It feels like that's a big position, doesn't it? Wrestling Ishii. And I can think of other wrestlers who I probably would have rather have had in that spot. I like like Zack Knight to be, as I say, your gatekeeper. The person who you have to pass on your way up. And having this kind of exhibition match against the big New Japan star doesn't really go against that. But Zack Knight always surprises. He's always going to deliver, I think. And he's built up that reputation of someone who beats expectations. So who knows? You know, it might be really good. He's just one that I can't really get excited about. I've been talking about Will Caven and why he's they've been pushing him. Well, we've got the answer. It's now a three-way match for the Cruiserweight title. Robbie X against Luke Jacobs against Will Caven. And do you know what we said about Cogs moving? I think they've done this so they don't have to pin Luke Jacobs and he can lose the title. I might be wrong, and I hope I'm wrong, but based on the way they've been booking things and the based on the build, that's what they're going to do, aren't they? Don't like that. I don't think that's a good idea in the slightest. They've actually just announced that um, yesterday. So when I, when I watched the other one, I should have thought of that, should I? And when I was watching the matches, I should have thought that's what they were going to do. It was going to be a rubbish triple threat and they're going to get the belt off Luke without pinning him. I hope they call an audible and change it. You know, I, I just, I, I think Rob, it's funny, isn't it? Because Robbie X is Robbie X and he doesn't need pinfalls to be over. But I think the belt deserves it. I think the Cruiserweight belt deserves it. Especially if they're going to run with it a little bit more. We've got Zack Sabre Jr. against uh, Leon Slater. That's going to be amazing. 
isn't it? You know, Zack Sabre Jr. against anyone is going to be amazing. And I think the way the characters are going to are going to mingle, I think, is going to be brilliant. You know, Leon Slate is so cocky and arrogant. What better way to put him in in his place than tie him up in a knot? You know, <laughs> Zack Sabre Jr. is absolutely fantastic, and I think that's going to be really good. We've got Alex Windsor against Kanji. They're going to unify the titles. I'm kind of ready for this story to be over. And I, I, I think Alex Windsor should win. I, I think she will win. I think Alex Windsor's a star. She feels like a legitimate champion. And if you don't go with her, I think it'll be a mistake. Oku against Mills. We're going to get the final to that story. I think this is going to be great. As much as I've had issues with the, the booking and, and the way it's got a little bit corny at times, I think Oku York Hall delivers. And he especially delivers when he's got some story behind him. He'll tell it brilliantly. I'm really confident. I think the wild card in this is Amira because she's on the poster. And sometimes Amira can get a little bit too involved. It can, it can sort of bleed over a little bit into too much interference and melodrama when she starts. So we'll see what happens with that. And then main event, Ricky Knight Jr. against Great O'Khan. I really don't know how to read this one. Is Ricky Knight Jr. going to beat Great O'Khan? I think Great O'Khan's going to win. Or is he? Oh, I don't. I'm rubbish with previews. That's why I don't do them. I hardly ever do them because I'm rubbish. I don't know. I mean, what's the advantage either way? I mean, it feels too soon to take the belt off Ricky Knight Jr., to be honest with you. But then, are they really going to beat Great O'Khan? The whole point of him, isn't it, that he's undefeated in Red Pro. He's never been defeated. And he's a New Japan star. He's do you know, he's being pushed over there. Can can Ricky Knight Jr. beat him? I don't know. Do they want the British title at Tokyo Dome? If so, I hope Ricky Knight Jr. gets to take it there. But what an intriguing match. Ricky Knight Jr. against Great O'Khan for a title. I really want to see it. I can't wait. I wish I could get down there. There's, do you know what? I believe it or not, I'm, I might be exposing myself here, but I've never been to York Hall. I've never been. So, it's on a Saturday, isn't it? Should I see if I can get down there? Oh, I don't know. We'll, we'll, I'll think about it. Um, but yeah, I think that it's going to be a solid show. I think there's lots on there to get really excited about. And obviously we know that York Hall Red Pro always delivers and we'll be talking about it on this show. Um, so let's wrap things up and talk about the Christmas special. So yeah, as I said at the start, the Christmas special is going to be a review of every Osprey Zack Sabre Jr. match. So I'll post the links uh, as to where you can get them, you know, on, on New Japan World and, and what Red Pro shows they're on and that sort of thing in the Discord over the coming days. So that's your excuse to sign up and get in there. Uh, watch along with us. It's going to be a little bit of a watch along. So you might want to watch them in preparation, do your homework, and then we'll talk about them. If you have any thoughts on the matches, please tell me in the Discord and I'll read them out and I'll, I'll tell you if I think that I agree or not. Uh, but I think it would be a really cool little thing to do uh, in the quiet period between now and the new year. Um, so thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the show and I will see you again in a couple of weeks time. See you in a bit.
Hello, Voices of Wrestling listener. Dave Ryan here. Have you ever wondered to yourself, how many hidden gems are hidden away inside the last years of World Championship Wrestling? Have you ever asked yourself how many tenuous gags can be made about the name Mike Enos? And have you ever thought about what it sounds like for two Irishmen to interpret a very chaotic company through its B-show? The answers to all this and more are just a click away. Check out Days of Thunder every second Thursday on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network.